Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, Calvary Quakertown. It's great to have you this morning. Uh, we're in a series that we're calling Impact, in which we're looking at one of our values, and we're making our way through the epistles of John, and we've been in 1 John for a few weeks, and we'll be for a few more. This morning, we come to a topic that many of you are probably interested in, or topics. This morning, we're going to look at the end times, antichrist, and spiritual warfare. Now, some of you are probably saying, it's about time we talk about important, relevant subjects. Others of you are probably thinking, Charles has gone off the deep end. Next thing we know, he'll be wearing a toupee and a fluorescent suit. If you're on either end of those continuums, you may be disappointed. But if you're interested in how God impacts our lives and how he calls us to then go in turn impact others, I think what John has to say will be challenging as well as encouraging. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 John chapter 2. And you can use your phone, your iPad, whatever instrument you want. And we're going to begin reading in verse 18, and I'm going to read through verse 27. Now, we know that John's starting a new section because he begins with the words, dear children. In fact, if you were to read, as many of you should be in your 5 by 5 challenge, as you're making your way through 1 John, you'll notice that he says, dear children, over and over and over again. That's his mechanism of saying, hey, I'm moving on to a new topic. I'm going to change gears. And so he begins this section by saying, talking about something new, dear children, here's what he writes. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you will not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there. They give me 25 minutes to explain this, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the last 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> here's kind of the main point, just in case you get lost in the details. Here's the main point. There has always been opposition to what God's doing, to Jesus, and to the gospel. And there will always be opposition until Christ returns and wins the ultimate victory. So don't be surprised at the opposition. Don't be surprised and, you know, kind of shocked when people are standing against things that you think are right. There has always been and will be opposition until Christ returns. Well, in this section, John's talking about truth and lies. And he begins by talking about antichrist and antichrists. Did you notice as I read, 
there's the singular usage, antichrist, and then there's the plural, antichrists. But before we get to talk about antichrist and antichrists, let me remind you, he begins that section by saying, we know it's the last days. Did you notice that? It's the last hour, he says. Now, John wrote that about 2,000 years ago. How in the world could it be the last hour 2,000 years ago? I did a little math this morning just to check this. There's been over 17 million hours since John wrote that. How can he write this is the last hour when more than 17 million hours have gone by? The Bible also speaks of the last days, the last times. You hear those expressions in our culture through books, etc. What in the world does that mean? Is it kind of like the last two minutes of an NFL game? You know, it seems to go on forever. Or maybe it's like time seems to stand still. Have you ever been through some last hours in your life? In a hospital, sitting in a meeting, sitting in a church service, listening to a sermon? Uh, Time seems to drag. What is it like? Well, maybe the best explanation is this. John's not writing about the last hour, and the New Testament writers do not refer to the last hour as much chronologically as theologically. Here's what he's saying. The last hour, the end times begin with Christ's first coming. They end with his second coming. And the whole period of time between Christ's first coming and second coming, all of that is the end time. All of that is the last hour. All of that is the last days. Nothing else theologically has to happen until Christ returns. That's the big news, right? So we live in the last times. In fact, if you remember, on the day of Pentecost, when the spirits poured out among those early believers, the prophet Joel is quoted, and he says, this is the last hour, this is the last days. Well, that begins, that commences the last days, and those last days continue until Christ returns. Well, that then brings us to the whole idea of an antichrist singular. Now, in the early church, the early Christians, there was teaching circulating. Paul writes about it. John writes about it. About um, this antichrist, this person that is against Jesus. And that was kind of popular, and lots of people expressed it. So Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians, the man of lawlessness. John writes about it in Revelation 13 about the beast. Is that all the same thing? Okay, here's what you need to know. Antichrist is a transliteration from two Greek words, all right? So you have to know a little Greek this morning. The word anti can mean three things. It can mean against, instead of, or in addition to. So against, instead of, in addition to. Christ means Messiah. Remember in the Old Testament, right? The word actually means anointed. And in the Old Testament, Priests, prophets, kings were anointed, and it began to kind of coalesce around the idea of a king. So Jesus is Messiah. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It means Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one from the Old Testament, right? So again, antichrist, Christ are against, instead of, or in addition to Jesus the Messiah, So when he shifts from the singular to the plural, and again, his emphasis here is not on some character at the end of time, a political figure, some kind of secret society. That's not what John's writing about. John's writing about 
those in his day that are against offering something instead of or in addition to Jesus being the Messiah. Now, we live in a day in which there's lots of sensationalism and stuff about Antichrist. So let, let, let me, I'll give you a little quiz this morning. Don't raise your hand or I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many times do you think the word Antichrist is found in the Bible? Just keep the number to yourself. How many times do you think it's in the Bible? A hundred? Ten? No. Five times. All five are used in John letter, John's letters. We just read 80% of them. We just read four out of the five. The fifth time is in 2 John when he talks about those who have the spirit of the Antichrist. So all the times that Antichrist is used, we just read 80% of them. Now that's not saying that there isn't someone else referred to. There could potentially be, all, all I'm saying is, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of grown up around the idea that's not explicitly in the scripture. What's the idea? Against, instead of, in addition to. And my guess is, you know a whole lot of people and a whole bunch of groups that are against Jesus being the Messiah, that offer something instead of Jesus being the only Savior, or often something, offer something in addition to the salvation that Jesus offers. So it's not some secret society. It's not necessarily some political figure. The idea is there has always been opposition. And maybe, you know, there are personalities where that op opposition becomes centralized. That is true, has been true. The idea is there are voices, there are people that are against instead of in addition to what Jesus is doing. Now, John tells us the marks of these people that are against instead of in addition to. Uh, three Ds, right? So it's pretty easy to write in the verses. They depart, they deny, and they deceive. That, that, that's what they, they depart, they deny, they deceive. So in the verse up here, they went out from us. They didn't really belong to us, right? They went, the idea is they depart. Now we need to stop right there. That does not mean that anybody who's ever left a church is somehow the Antichrist. People leave churches. Maybe you left another church. We've had people leave church. If you're leaving over convictions, if you're leaving over preferences, that's not what John's talking about. John's not talking about people that leave a Christian community only. John's talking about people that have departed the faith. They're denying absolutes. They're denying that Jesus is God incarnate who came to be our substitute savior. That's what they're denying. So the departure is not from a community based on preferences or convictions. This is a departing based on the absolutes. They are leaving Christian community. They are leaving the faith. That's what it means to depart. Secondly, they, uh, they deny. Now, what is it that they deny? They deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, you gotta remember, when John was writing 1 John, and when the first readers were hearing it, they didn't jump into the middle of chapter two and read that that morning. There's a whole bunch of the letter that has gone before that. What did John write about in chapter one in the beginning of chapter two? He writes in chapter one about Jesus being God. God becomes a human being in the person of Jesus Christ in order 
to bring salvation to the world and forgiveness to people. If you deny Jesus is God incarnate and your substitute, you have an antichrist thought. That's what he's saying. You're denying Jesus is the Christ. You're denying that salvation is found only in him. What are you doing? You're offering something against instead of or in addition to. You would be in that group. But not just deny and depart. They also deceive. They're not content to just go. They want to influence others to go as well. They want to influence others to be against, influence others to need something instead of, in place of, or something in addition to. That's kind of the idea, right? These teachers are seeking to influence. They're teaching, they're going. They've left the, the faith, but they're not just standing on the outside with their backs to the group. They are yelling back messages, either messages, hey, you need something instead of, you need something in addition to. Jesus is not who John's saying he is. That's kind of the idea, right? They depart, they deny, they deceive. You know, we live in a day when there's lots of different kinds of deception. You know that, right? Um, I don't know about you. I'm always fascinated with how magicians do stuff. Are you fascinated with that? Like, everyone, like at least once a month, I try to find a YouTube where a magic trick is kind of explained because it, it bugs me when I don't know how they do it, right? And sleight of hand can be a little deceptive. We also have deception that uh, you go and suppose you have to buy something, you can name the product these days. Oh yeah, it'll be delivered in three weeks. Nine months later, you're still waiting for the delivery, right? Um, but this deception is much more serious than us. This deception relates to who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do. This group departs, they deny, and they seek to deceive. That is what's going on, three Ds. As you understand the three Ds, you understand what these antichrists are doing. John's purpose here, remember, is not to tell us about some future figure, not to tell us about a secret society. He's saying, there's a whole group of people out there. And you know what? It's not really secret. We could name the groups that are against God, that are offering something instead of Jesus, that are saying you need something in addition they're not secret. They're not hiding. They're out in the open. John says those are the groups that fit under the main umbrella of Antichrist. Something instead of, in addition to, something against who Jesus is and what he did. Well, that brings us to the second thing. And this one's a little more complicated. Well, what are we going to do with Christ and Christians? And somebody think, well, what do you mean what are we going to do it? Okay. John's unpacking a play on words here that we totally miss in English. So I, I hate to do this to you. You need to just kind of know what the words mean. And since they're all transliterations, uh, we need to kind of understand a little Greek to do this. So all of these words in here essentially have the same root. Antichrist, antichrists, Christ, and anointing. That's all the same word, right? And so here's what John is saying. There are some out there that are against 
the anointed one. Then there is the anointed one who has anointed those that are following him. You see how that works? And so there are kind of four things that John's playing with here. There is the one that is against the anointed one, and then there are all the anti-anointed ones, right? Then you have the anointed one and all of those that have the anointing that are following him. In a sense, John's drawing up two teams. The one team has as its head Antichrist with all the Antichrist with that anti-anointing. And then we got Jesus the Christ with all of the followers having the anointing. It's all the same word, uh, but we kind of missed it. I don't know why that they could have done it a different way, but, but that's what he's doing. Now, if there are three Ds that describe the Antichrist, right? They deny, they depart, they deceive. There are two A's that describe the pro-Christ, pro-anointed, those that have the anointing. They are anointed, right? They have the anointing and they abide. If you have a newer translation, I need it in an A word. If you have a newer one, it says remain, same word, right? So what in the world does the anointing have to do with it? Well, remember, anointed just means that Messiah, that's Christ. So here's what happens. When you become a Christian, you are anointed with the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus anoints you with the Holy Spirit. Remember, uh, you won't, when Jesus comes, he won't baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the idea, right? You will be anointed with the Spirit. Now, that kind of brings some confusion. Some of you may have some theological background to put that together. But here's how those vocabulary words work. When someone becomes a Christian, they are anointed with the Spirit. We use anointing today in some in crazy ways, right? Oh, that was an anointed sermon. That means, I don't know, was it powerful? You stayed awake? But the Bible never used a word like that. It just means that, you know, you're empowered by God somehow, right? That, that's what it is. In the Old Testament, you were empowered for a task. In the New Testament, you're given life in the Spirit. You have the Spirit. Now you have the energy, etc., to follow Jesus. Well, then the Bible also speaks of being filled with the Spirit. Now, that, that gets a little weird. So we get the Spirit, we're indwelt with the Spirit when you become a Christian. What's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Does that mean like after a little while you need, you need to be topped off or you, know, you need to get a little more, go back? And, no, no, no. Um, it works like this. Did you ever get a blizzard from Dairy Queen? Yeah, I, like, I, I like the cookie dough ones, right? Uh, so here's how it works with a blizzard. You put a little bit of ice cream in and then you put the cookie dough or whatever in. They don't hand it to you then, right? They have to put it under that blizzard thing and it, it kind of mixes the stuff all around. Once the cookie dough and ice cream are in the cup, you don't get any more cookie dough in the cup, but the ice cream gets more of the cookie dough as it gets kind of mixed. That's the idea. So when someone becomes a Christian, the Spirit, right? You are anointed with the Spirit. You're indwelt with the Spirit. But then as you live your Christian life, you don't get more. What you have gets kind of mixed up. The Spirit gets more of you, right? Just like the blizzard gets more of the cookie dough throughout. So as you live the Christian life, the Spirit's getting more of you as you kind of walk with Him, understand what's going on, apply the Scripture to your life, etc. right? That's the idea. The Holy Spirit is given to us, we're anointed with the Spirit upon salvation. As we live our lives then, the Holy Spirit should be getting more of us. And notice, just like the Antichrists 
have the spirit, the same influence that the ultimate antichrist does. So we as Christians, those with the anointing, should be resembling the ultimate anointed one as we live our lives. That's what John's doing. You know, perhaps there is this future figure and all of his followers, right? Influencing, departing, denying. Jesus, the ultimate one who will return and all of his followers living out that anointing in their lives. Well, the second A is abide. Now, you know abide if you've ever read um, John 15. Again, that's one of John's favorite words, right? It means you remain, you're stuck, you're nourished by, connected to. And John is not saying in these verses, as he seems to imply, if you have the anointing, you don't have need for teachers. That doesn't mean fire all the pastors. Um, Here's what that means. In knowing the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done, you have all you need. Now you need to grow into that. It doesn't make any sense that John would write, you don't need any more teachers. He's writing a letter teaching them. If if they didn't need teachers, why would he write the letter? He's saying, no, you have what you need. Now it needs to be stirred up. It needs to be mixed up. It needs to be applied and live that in your life. That's what John's doing. Antichrist and antichrist, those that depart, those that deny, those that deceive. The ultimate Messiah and all of his followers have the anointing and they abide in him. They take the scripture and the spirit applies that and lives that out in their lives so that he gets more of them as they follow him. Kind of make sense? All right, so what are some lessons? Here are a couple lessons. I could just say, go do that, but here are a couple of lessons that kind of tie this together. Number one, we already mentioned. The enemy wants to deceive you. So I started by saying the main point of this whole passage is this. There has always been opposition to God and what he's doing, to Jesus and to the gospel. That will not change until Christ return. Don't be surprised at that. And the enemy wants to deceive you in that. And if he can kind of get us off track right? Not lose your salvation, but get us focused on some other things, maybe in addition to this, in addition to that, instead of get us off track, then we no longer are living out the resemblance of the ultimate Messiah as we should. Secondly, Jesus has equipped you. He's given us all that we need. We're not going to need another savior. We're not going to need another anointing. We have the anointing The spirit of Christ has been poured into us. And as we allow that spirit to get more of us, we begin to resemble the ultimate Christ more and more. And thirdly, eternal life awaits. Did you notice the last uh, verse? I, I think we have it on the screen. And this is what he promised. Eternal life. My guess is that uh, occasionally you're reminded of a, how short life is, right? I was reminded of that uh, yesterday. got a phone call and and talked with a couple uh, experiencing the sobering reality that life is ebbing away pretty quickly. But the promise of the gospel, the promise of the ultimate divine savior isn't just forgiveness, isn't just acceptance. It's eternal life forever and ever with God, with him, with the Spirit forever and ever. So what are the ultimate lessons? 
The ultimate lessons are abide. Ultimate lessons are re-energize that anointing. Cooperate with what the Spirit's doing in your life. And as you cooperate with what the Spirit's doing and He gets more of you, as the Spirit takes the Scripture and makes it, whips it together, blizzards it together in your life, you're reminded of that abiding. That anointing becomes more of a reality. And we resemble the ultimate Messiah as we follow Him and live out what it means to be on His team in this world as we play and live against the opposition. So what should we do? Protect, protect against the deception and pursue. Protect against the lies and perception by knowing the scripture. No, read, read, read the epistles of John over and over. We're doing that, right? As you do that, you're protecting yourself and pursue the truth as you do that and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this passage. Even though we've heard some funny things, things that may, uh, may sound strange and may actually be strange, Lord, we recognize that there is truth in what you say. Sometimes we're surprised and shocked by the fact that you are opposed and Jesus is opposed and the gospel is opposed in this world, but we shouldn't be surprised. Lord, protect us by helping us to know the truth and pursuing the truth. Help us to reflect on what it means to have the Spirit, to cooperate so that the Spirit gets more of us. And Lord, help us to rejoice in these last days as we wait for the conclusion in Christ's return. We pray in his name. Amen.